Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you all? Just, uh, I don't come to your work and bother you, okay? So, (laughs) Mary, (laughs) if it's not Mary, it's Terry. If it's not Terry, it's Mary. It's always somebody. Anyways, God bless all of you. Um, I just, uh, I have something prepared, of course, right? I would never waste anyone's time here. And yet, during worship, I just feel moved a little bit. I I, I wouldn't even try to, um, let me just tell you what I feel. My, My heart feels a bit heavy right now. Anyone else? Um, I I live by the mantra, ignorance is bliss. Anyone else? And so several years ago, I pulled the ripcord on watching daily news. I just like bless you if you guys watch the red news or the blue news. I don't care what news flavor you like, but I just, I disconnected many years ago and it's been so helpful for me and my stress level. But, but this last week has been real tough for me. Um, With everything that happened in, in Russia and Russia coming into Ukraine, um, and as even Josh was praying for that real quickly this morning, and I just get a sense that, that, that we are brought together today for a purpose to maybe pray for that situation. Um, I haven't been watching it real close, but because I do have a daughter, my oldest daughter's in Spain right now, so she's in Europe. And of course, if you, if you, if, hello, if you live in a cave, Europe just broke out in war, Eastern Europe this week. And so it's been kind of nerve-wracking and um, you know, the biggest challenge a week ago was did, my, did the, the gift basket that we sent to my daughter with all the Pop-Tarts and the mac and cheese arrive? Like that was our biggest concern a week ago. And now it's like, oh God, let nuclear war not break out while my daughter's in Spain. And it's not only that, that, we, that this is impacting the lives of individuals over there. Um, it's so easy for us to be distanced in America, somewhat insulated by the oceans around us and just go, well, that's them doing their thing again. But I, I can't help believe that God wouldn't have us together for a purpose to like pray for that thing. I'm not going to call a prayer meeting right now, although I maybe could or should, but I, I, just, I just want you to know that's heavy on my heart today. We don't know what exactly is going to happen over there. I've been praying. We have friends, um, uh, Steve and Kim Cecil. Uh, many of you will remember Steve. Steve spoke here Last summer, he came through in June and spoke here at Renaissance and spoke to you while I was on sabbatical. He and his wife and his family moved to Russia almost a decade ago to be Christian missionaries to that country and doing a great work for Christ there. You you guys believe a great work for Christ needs to be done over there, of course. And and they just packed up and left Russia this last week. They're they're moving. It's a lot of instability over there. And it... it, um, it just reminds us of even what Jessica said this morning, that, that this world seems a bit out of control right now. now. Okay, maybe you're not one who senses it like on a global scale, but maybe your particular world's out of control right now. Um, can I just lovingly remind you what God reminded me of this week? If you feel like that you've lost control of the world, God would say you, you never had control of the world. 
That you, you, you never had it to begin with. What you're sensing now is, is a reminder, a gentle nudge from God that, that there are things you cannot control. That there are things that you cannot do anything about. And so we pray. And we worship. And we trust God in all of these things. And so my heart is so heavy with this. This is last week. And then, and then this happened last week. So war's breaking out in Europe and Pastor Joe and his wife, Megan, do that. <laughs> hey, and they're listening. They're watching online. So yeah, give it to them. Going to work on a little modesty over here, I'm just saying. What a... Eleanor Rose is her name. Six pounds, six ounces. She's, um, she's early. She's about three or four weeks early. So the picture that Joe and Megan had in their mind of taking their baby home after staying in the hospital for a day or two and just snuggling for a week while they learned to get acclimated with one another was ripped from them when, when Eleanor was rushed over to St. John's because she wasn't breathing well. And as they stay at the Ronald McDonald house and run over to the hospital and take shifts and do all of that and try to coordinate food and stick their hand through that little incubator thing they put the babies in so that Eleanor can hold on to mama's finger. Oh my gosh. It's hard. The world just seems out of control. And it is in our control. But God is in control of everything. So um, we have sorrow and we celebrate with everything that's going on. Yes, amen? Like, okay, is this normal for the guy to get up and cry before he even starts preaching? The answer is sometimes. So anyways, uh, <laughs> it's a lot, man, I'm just saying. So uh, we're going to continue in our book uh, study in Esther, as Chris mentioned. And I'm doing the last few chapters. It's chapter 8, chapter 9, and a few verses in chapter 10. And I'm not going to read all of them to you. I'm just going to give you a little bit about uh, where we've gone so far. Um, and what's going to happen today. I'll put a few verses on the screen behind you. Um, but know this, that we are people who love the idea of a rescue. We love that. Over 4 million pets are adopted every year. Um, most of them are cats, which just says something about people not liking cats so much, <laughs> that they give them away, and then other people have to... I mean, let's be... Wow. That's worse than what I said before the election. <laughs> They turn on you quick, John. Keep an eye on them. They turn on. Um, yeah, and, and uh, we watched many years ago when the Chilean miners were trapped under, you know, beneath the earth for about two and a half months, and we waited to see the rescue. And I don't care what time of day it is. When I run across Apollo 13, even though I've seen the movie a hundred times and I know exactly what's going to happen, I always watch that movie. We love this idea of rescue, and um, I think that's what the book of Esther is really pointing to. That, that the God's people, God's covenant people are being rescued by God. And we see this rescue played out for us in three different acts this week, three different parts. We see that God's rescue for his people is first decreed, that it'll be spoken, that there's a rescue going to come. Then this rescue will be executed, that, there, that God is going to do something to rescue his people. And then lastly, and maybe this is the one that we often forget, is that the, the rescue is then remembered by God's people. Because if you're like me, oftentimes 
years go by and you sometimes forget the things God has done. So there's a call to remember all of the great things that God has done. So let's just talk a little bit about review. This is give me a few moments to talk about where we've been in the book of Esther and, and where we're going today. Um, King Xerxes is the most powerful man in the world. He's running the most powerful empire in the world called Persia. And we're introduced to King Xerxes at the beginning of the book of Esther. And his empire grew by conquering neighboring nations, much like we're seeing maybe in Eastern Europe now, that they would take over a nation, they would destroy its capital cities, its major cities, and then they would subjugate those people, right, by pulling them away from their homeland, pulling them away from their families, and dispersing them throughout the empire. This is called exile. They would pull people into exile, and they would have to grow up in their new environment. And the, the empire was hoping that they would become assimilated to be like them, that they'd be less like they used to be and more like how they want them to be. They're going to follow our laws now. They're going to even worship our gods now. They're going to do everything our way. And this is what has happened to the Jewish people, to God's covenant people, the Jews, that their nation had been ransacked centuries before by the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, and then the Babylonians gave way to the Persians. And now King Xerxes is in charge of all of this empire, and the Jewish people are living in exile in that. And in the story, we're introduced to two different Jewish people. A young orphan girl named Hadassah is her Hebrew name, and her Persian name is Esther. So we're introduced to, to Esther, and we're also introduced to her uncle who raised her since she was an orphan, a guy named Mordecai. Now, we don't see neither Esther nor Mordecai doing very much religious things. In this whole book, we've already made mention of this, so it's ad nauseum here at this point, but, but there's no mention of like um, prayer. There's no mention of God in this, in this book. There's no mention of sacrifice in this book. There's no mention of priestly uh, duties in this book. There's no celebration of feasts in this book or you know, like the, the law. None of that stuff is taking place in here. So we don't see them being very Jewish, if you will. So at first blush, when we read this book, we begin to ask questions like this. Um, if the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Are Esther and uh, Mordecai and the rest of the Jews living in Persia, are they still God's chosen people? Because they don't seem to be acting it, if you know what I'm saying. Which lays in another question for us. To be the people of God, is there a responsibility, hear me, on you and I to do something? Like, is our relationship with God held together by what you and I do, or is God holding all things together by the work that he does? This is the question that you and I wrestle sort of on the back burner of this story. Um, the answer to the question will hopefully become apparent at the end of the day today. Anyways, Esther and Mordecai are living in Persia. The king's second in the man is a man named Haman. You guys remember last week? <laughs> well done. Joe will be glad to know you paid attention. <laughs> yes, Haman's a bad person, and he hates the Jews. He hates them terribly. We won't go into all of that. And he persuades the king to write an edict allowing the destruction of all the Jews throughout the entire empire on a certain day in a few months. It's basically at the end of the year, they're going to kill all of the Jewish people. And this is because Haman hates the Jews so much. And he also de devises a plot to kill Uncle Mordecai. But he's not going to wait until the end of the year to do so. He's going to kill Mordecai tomorrow. And this was Joe's message from last week. Now God does this providential thing that we read all about in the book of Esther. Where he places the young Jewish girl who is Hadassah, now Esther, as queen in the kingdom. She becomes the, the wife to the king. And God uses that position to rescue Mordecai. 
that even though he was to be hanged the next day, Queen Esther gets involved through the providence of God, and this was all last week, and, and it was beautiful, and we see at the end of last week that, that Mordecai was saved, yay, and Haman was hanged. Yay, I think. <laughs> that felt like upside down at that moment, but, but it, felt, it felt right. And so we rejoice in the story. Yes, finally some judgment. Finally some rescue is taking place. Now we know that all the Jews are going to be safe throughout the whole kingdom, right? Not so fast. Let me read this verse for you in chapter 8, verse 8. It said that an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So I mentioned earlier that Haman had sort of tricked the king into writing an edict and, and approving it that all the Jews would be killed. And we're learning that, that that has been made law, so to speak, and now there's nothing that, that they can do to change that. Which seems so foreign to us kind of in our political system. Because in our, in our two-party political system, this is how it works for me. I don't know if you guys might think of it differently, but it feels like one party gets power, whether it be the governorship or the, the White House, it doesn't matter, and they get their people in place and they make a bunch of laws, right? And if you're for that party, yay, and all of that. Um, and then they, they do that for a while, and then maybe the next election cycle comes up and the other party gets involved, and they spend most of their time writing new laws <laughs> to undo the previous laws that have been taken. Does anyone else see it this way? Yeah. And maybe that's the, the beauty of our republic. Maybe. But it also makes me think that it's not a very good way to make much progress in life where you're constantly undoing things. So it seems weird to read about a law that can't be unpassed or undone, so to speak, that the king, the most powerful man in the empire, has passed. And he's like, dude, there's nothing I can do. Like, it's been passed already. And so even though it sounds strange politically, I want you to think about this. But there are many things in our lives that we cannot undo, there are words that you have spoken that you cannot unspeak. There are actions that you've done that you cannot unact. They are there and they are there forever. Many of those things are not good. Many of the things that we have done, we carry sorrow and grief about, wishing we could do it over again. All of us in this room have said those words, if I, if I could do it over again, I'd do it differently, but you can't. And this is that situation here. We can be forgiven, praise the Lord, for the things that we've done, but we can't undo the things of God. There's actually nothing that we can do to remove them. You feel this. And the king is going to say to Esther, um, I'm sorry, but there's nothing I can do for you. Look what Esther says to the king in verse 3 of chapter 8. It says, Esther sp speaks to the king and she falls at his feet and she weeps and she's begging with him to please avert the evil plan of Haman, the plot against her people, the Jews. In verse five, she, these are the words recorded. If it pleases the king and if I have found favor in your sight and if this thing seems right to you, king, and if I'm pleasing in your eyes, if there's anything that you find in me that would cause you to change your mind, please change your mind. Let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, who wrote to destroy the Jews. But the king even can't undo it. There's nothing that can be done. However, in one of these strange twists in the story, after Haman was hanged last week, 
King Xerxes places Mordecai in his position now. So now Mordecai, who was to be destroyed, has now been exalted into power. He now has become the second most powerful person in the empire, second only to Xerxes himself. And even though the king can't undo this edict, he lets the new prime minister, Mordecai, write a new edict if he would like to. And so Mordecai writes a new law, basically. Verse 10, it says this. That he writes in the name of the king, Ahasuerus, uh, it's also Xerxes, same person. It's just more fun to say Xerxes. Sounds like Xerox to me. I don't know. So anyways, so in the name of the king, Xerxes, and he seals it with the king's ring, and he sends this new law, this new decree, right, by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service. Check this next line. Bread from the royal, what is it, stud. Like we get a, like some animal husbandries all of a sudden taking place in the store. We have no idea why that's important to the story, but the author's like, make sure they know it's the royal stud. <laughs> I don't know. Fast horses, I guess. They take these, these fast horses and they ride all across the modern world and deliver this new decree. And this is what the decree says, verse 11, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and they could what? They could defend their lives. So they're going to come. The enemies are coming. That law has been decreed. That is what Haman put into place. But Mordecai says, now the Jewish people can defend themselves. Yay. And they can destroy and kill and annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them. Listen, if the baker down the street comes after the Jew in the 12th month on the 13th day, the Jew can defend himself against the baker versus the carpenter down the street. Hear me. If a Persian soldier were to come and attack a Jew, they can defend themselves against the own, it's even the empire itself. And all of this takes place, verse 12, on one day throughout the entire province of the king, on the 13th day of the 12th month. Now, if you're taking notes today, and I don't know if you take notes at church at all when you do Bible study, but that's something you want to underline on the 13th day of the 12th month, and here's why because that is actually my birthday. <laughs> That's a real thing. Yeah. And I wear size 11 vans. But it's, all that's a point to this one ra- reality. There's a day coming. There's a single day when the enemy is going to attack the Jews and the Jews can defend themselves on that single day. The day of destruction is decreed and the day of rescue has also been decreed as well. So the mail is delivered and the world waits. The two decrees have gone out, one from the enemy Haman and one from Mordecai. What's going to happen? We don't know. And so we keep reading. This is the beauty of the story. If you haven't read Esther, you can read the whole thing in about 15 minutes. It's 10 chapters. It's itty-bitty. It's like a nursery book. Like You can read it quickly. But this causes you to flip the pages And keep going. We go to chapter 9 now, verse 1. It says, Now on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same month, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on that very day, when the enemy of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, what happened? The reverse occurred. It says that the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. This reversal of sorts, this up, this, this in an instant, a, a total change of events takes place. And this is the book of Esther, that they were meant for destruction. And in that, that exact same day they were to be destroyed, they were saved and gained mastery over their enemies as well. 
And it's not just that they did this by themselves. This, is, this stuck out to me, that they were helped by other people to do so. This, hear me, this is how God works in our lives. When, we, when you and I are convinced there's nothing that can be done, and we know that there's, sometimes we just cannot change our circumstance, God intervenes on our behalf at some times, and he sends other people to help you. Sometimes we're just too quick to brush them aside. I've got this, bro. Right? You ever get that phone call, you pick it up, you go, not right now. <laughs> right? I'm telling you, if you're going through like, like a situation and your phone rings all random-like, take the call. <laughs> take the freaking call, man. You have no idea what God is doing on your behalf to help you in some way. Take the call. When, when, someone, when you're going through a situation, and, um, or let me reverse this, apologies. You're just living your day, and a random person pops into your mind. Anyone? Right? Unless it's like an ex-girlfriend, I would never make that phone call, right? <laughs> like, that's the devil. Don't even go down that road. For real. <laughs> But like, just like someone you go to church with, an old coworker, I don't know what it is. They just pop in your brain and you say, I should reach. I wonder how they're doing. Call them. Because you don't know, man. Maybe God is using you to be, you see what I'm saying here? Okay, so all that to say is that, that they were sunk. There's nothing they can do. They could defend themselves maybe, but even that wasn't enough. So God orchestrates other people to help. Read here in verse 3. It says, all of the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and of the royal agents, they also helped the Jews. Now the government is on their side. And they do so for fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai, verse 4, was great in the king's house and his fame spread, out, spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. They had heard that Haman had been executed. Mordecai is his replacement. And he was powerful. And when it says they're motivated by fear, it's not that they're afraid that he's going to punish them if they don't help. It's more fear out of reverence. Like, like we have fear of God sometimes, which sounds strange for us. But the ultimate question we ask ourselves is whose side do we want to be on? Do we want to be on the side of Mordecai and what he's doing? Or do we want to be on the side of the enemies? Do we want to be on the side of God and what he's doing? Or do we want to be on the side of God's enemies? And we're motivated oftentimes by fear of what's reverence and what is right to be done. And then it says, verse 17 of chapter 9 here, that on the 13th day of the month of Adar, on the, and on the 14th day, they rested and made that a day of what? Feasting and gladness. That everything is flipped around now. It was going to be a, a day of burial and mourning, and now it's feasting and gladness. And I don't know about you, but feasting is my kind of idea, Right? This is, I love this sort of stuff. So we saw uh, justice decreed that God was going to orchestrate something and, and Mordecai decreed that it's going to happen. We see it executed, that they have now taken over their enemies basically and they've been able to um, find help in that endeavor as well. And now we see that, that Mordecai is going to make sure that they remember what God has done. Look at these next verses in verse 20 and um, 21, 22. It says that Mordecai recorded all of these things that had happened. He wrote them down, and he sent these letters to all of the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, probably using the same horses from the royal stud. Just throwing it out there. 
And he obliges them to keep the 14th day of the month and the 15th day the same, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies. And as the month that they had been turned um, from sorrow into gladness, say it with me, from mourning into holiday, and that they should make these days of feasting and of gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Everything has been upended and turned over. A reversal has taken place. Relief from their enemies. Sorrow to gladness. Mourning into holiday. Gifts to one another. When you see how great God is and how he rescues you, it is hard not to be generous with other people. And we see all of this. And Mordecai is intending that all of the Jews everywhere would make sure they remember the, what has taken place. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament where God has rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt under a wicked king, Pharaoh. And God sends Moses, one to help them. They couldn't help themselves. A, a Moses, and Moses goes to help them. God rescues them out of Egypt and he's taking them into the promised land. And he, he parts the river Jordan so that the 12 tribes of Israel can, can get into the promised land. And it says that as the 12 tribes came across and everyone got into the promised land safely, as God has protected them, as they wandered through the desert for 40 years, he provided food for them and water for them, kept their enemies away from them. As they crossed into the promised land, each tribe carried a stone from the middle of the river and set it down on the ground in the promised land. And people were like, why are they doing that? And it was, it was set as a memorial, a remembrance of what God has done because they knew there's going to be a day, many years from now, another generation won't remember what God had done for them. Daddy, what did those rocks over by the river mean? I'm glad you asked, Jimmy. <laughs> it's weird up here, I'll just tell you. You won't remember this. You're too, you're too young to remember. But our people were enslaved for over 400 years. But God is good and he rescued us. That's what those rocks represent. Mordecai has some understanding of this as well. And he's like, make sure whatever takes place in the generations to come that we celebrate this feast. This feast is called Purim. And you can learn about that as you read the book of Esther yourself. But he wants to make sure all the people for generations to come celebrate this feast of, of mourning into gladness or mourning into holiday, this reversal of sorts, so that they can remember. And I'm just blown away by all of that. It, it makes me think, um, as beautiful as the book is, and it's a great account to read, it's a great story to read, but what would be the purpose of the book in the Bible? I mentioned before, um, I think week one, that some people think that the book of Esther, even though it doesn't mention God, it doesn't mention prayer, again, there's no priests in there, there's no law, there's no sacrificial anything happening, there's, God's seem, seemingly absent from the book, right? He's hidden, but not absent. Um, some people think that the reason Esther is in the Bible is just to show the Jews why they celebrate this feast Purim, right? Because Moses had instructed them to, to obey other feasts and other festivals, and that's fine, but Purim wasn't one of them. So, so why did Jews celebrate Purim? Well, it's because of this story. So that's maybe why the book of Esther is in the Bible, so that they would know why they do it. Maybe, maybe. I think there's other meanings in there, too. I think there's another purpose why we, why we have, because we're not Jewish, why we would have the, um, the book of Esther. I'm trying to say it. Just say it, Jeff. Okay, here it is. Um, I think this shows us what mature faith starts to look like. Um, Jewish scholars believe 
that Israel, when they first followed after God, many of them did so because of all of the great miracles that God had done for them. And you can for sure get behind a God who's doing miracles for you daily, day in, day out, providing for you, protecting you from your enemy, like sun standing still, like all this crazy stuff that's going on, miracles, supernatural events. You can get behind a God who does that stuff, yes? Please say yes. Because <laughs> if you can't get behind that, I can't help you at this point. <laughs> There's nothing I can do for you. But in this book, we don't see God do any of those things. And yet, when God moved on their behalf, they decided to remember that God had done something for their, on their behalf. And we see a maturing of their faith. The, hear me, these people are no longer just following God because of the things he does for them. They're following after God because of who he is. That is subtle, but it will change your life. I don't think God gets upset with us when we follow after him because he does great things for us. Jesus and his disciples, many of the people that were crowding around Jesus were only coming because he was feeding them. Like there are some days you just want stuff from God. Yes? And there are some days you can't get it from him. And you have to decide, am I going to grow up in my faith and serve him and worship him and praise him? Even when he's not doing things that you can see, right? As we've learned anything, God's always doing something. He's hidden, but not absent. Yes? But there's a maturing of faith that takes place here. Um, I think that's an important thing to consider. And, and I want to wind down in the last few moments here with something that's even more significant than that. And I'll say this that there's a point even greater to be made in the book of Esther that points to an ever-present reality in our own lives. That just like the Jews in Esther's day, that we have a decree of destruction that's been written over us as well. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, Verse 23, that the wages of sin is what? Death. That because of sin in our lives, then we are going to be punished with death. And this is an, a death that's an eternal death. This is a death that, that lasts forever. When, when um, Jesus is t- talking to Nicodemus in uh, John chapter 3, and he says, you, know, you can have the hope of eternal life if you believe that God sent his beloved son and all that, Right? That there is a hope of eternal life, but it only comes one way, through Jesus Christ. Without it, you enter into eternal death. Now, we can debate whether this is eternal conscious torment or annihilation, whatever happens, but there's a day that comes when we cease to exist, and all of that comes because of sin in our lives. A decree has been spoken over us, hear me, and God does not undo that decree. When sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, it entered the world, and through sin came death. That is the decree that we live in. We don't have to be taught how to sin. Some of you think you're pretty good people. That's fine. You can lie to yourself if you want. (laughs) We don't have to learn how to sin. It comes to us naturally, which I even hate to say. I'll tell a real funny story real quick. My daughter, uh, Reagan, who's now 18, and she's serving downstairs in the cafe. She got the real curly hair. Looks just like her mama. It's wonderful. Anyways, um, when she was four years old or so, I remember finding candy wrappers behind the couch one day. It was after Easter or Halloween. It's one of those things, hey, don't eat the candy when you're not supposed to eat the candy. Yeah, whatever, Dad. And I, and I would find these empty candy wrappers. I'm like, oh my gosh. 
Reagan, have you been eating candy? And I, like, like her face, like, like a sheet, and with a tremble in her voice, like, and almost tears in her eyes, she looked me dead in the eyes and said, no. <laughs> she lied to me. Oh my God. And I'm like, never, ever, I promise you, Stacy and I did not sit her down one day, worked on her ABCs, her numbers, taught her how to ride her bike without her training wheels, and then gave her tutorials on lying. She just was a natural. <laughs> That's us. In our, in our natural state, we are bent. We have a proclivity to do the things that are against God's commands. It's called sin. We have it. It's in us. And there comes a day when we are going to have to deal with that. Romans chapter 5, real quick. All of us sin. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, so death is spread to all men because all have sin. There's nothing we can do to undo this. And just like in the book of Esther, there's a coming day when destruction will look for us. There's a day on the calendar. Hear me. Hebrews 9, 27 reminds us of this. There's a day on the calendar that it is appointed for a man to die once and what happens next and then to face judgment. Such a somber topic, I know, but the mortality rate of everyone in this room is 100%. That we all die. And when we die, we will stand before God and be judged. And he will look at the sin in our lives and we will be separated from him forever. And there is nothing that you can do about it. The decree can't be unwritten. It can't be undone. It is a law in God's universe. Sin equals death. And yet, another decree of sorts was spoken back in Genesis chapter three as well, that God would deal with the sin issue in the world and that he would do so through his own son, Jesus Christ. Which if you're visiting Renaissance, if you did not pick up on the fact that Jesus Christ is a big deal in this church, We have failed you. He is the big deal in this church. Jesus Christ, some 2,000 years ago, he gave his life as a ransom for you and for I and for me because he knows the day is coming when we will be judged. And so Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us and he died upon a cross. Now imagine that. We just said that death comes from sin. And Jesus Christ, we know he never sinned. Why is Jesus worthy of death? He wasn't. But he chose to give his life. This is that exchange that takes place. Jesus is willing to endure the death and the punishment that you and I so deserve. And he takes it upon himself. And he dies on the cross. And he's buried in a grave. And on the third day, God hallelujah, raises him from the dead. It's as if to say sin had no claim to, or death had no claim to him because he'd never sinned. Are you catching this? And so the grave spit him out. <laughs> Happy Easter. And yes, there's no claim. He, and Jesus Christ conquers sin. He conquers death. He conquers the grave. 
you and I, through faith in him, we too can have the hope of resurrection after that day when we die too. Otherwise, we'll be eternally separated from God and everything that he has hoped for us since eternity began. We'll be removed from him. There is nothing that you can do. But Jesus can do it all. Jesus can do it all. The question we asked earlier, do the Jewish people, is their covenant with God still intact? Because they weren't acting very Jewishy. Is that a word? They weren't acting very religious. They weren't acting. They weren't doing all of the stuff. Has their covenant with God been broken? The answer we've learned is no. And the answer we know about our own lives is we're not Christians because of all the activity that we perform, all the, all the duties that we think we place upon ourselves, not all the activity or whatever. We are Christians because of the work that Christ has done for us, that he has sacrificed himself on our behalf. And our work, though, is to just receive that work. By faith, we say we accept Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. I don't, I don't want to have to fight. I don't want to have to worry about the day of destruction that's coming towards me. So I put my faith in Christ and I'm liberated. Like the Jews in Esther's day, they needed help. God helped them. And God helps us through Jesus Christ. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter here at Renaissance. Who's excited to have Easter at Renaissance? I don't know if, you, if you're new to Renaissance, Easter is like a huge deal for us. Um, I hate to say it's the Super Bowl of our thing, but it's, it's better than that. It's, it's wonderful. Easter is a tremendous thing. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate that. Um, and that's great. And so we'll do what Esther, Mordecai told those people to do. Remember all the good things that God has done, right? That our rescue has been decreed, it's been executed, and now we remember it. I'm here to say we don't have to wait to Easter to do that. We don't have to wait. Today is the day that we can actually remember the things that God has done. Some of us here, we had that experience where God was doing great things in our lives and he seems somewhat distant to us right now. Yes? Yes? And God might be saying, "Um, I'm I'm ready for you to mature in your faith. Are you ready to trust me even when I'm not doing visible signs and miracles in your life? Are you ready? Or do you want to remain, hear me, I love you, or do you want to remain immature and only move when the miraculous moves? Full um, disclosure, I am a miracle guy. Like, I believe in miracles. I believe God heals people today. I I believe God raises people from the dead today. I believe all the stuff. I'm all in that. I'm just saying, I've learned to follow him when he doesn't. And his great wisdom, when he decides not to answer the prayers, is he still worthy of of your worship? So so maybe now, the band's going to come back, and we're going to do one more song, and maybe now's the time we just consider our faith. Have we been so motivated by the things that God has done for us rather than who he is? And so today, maybe we just move a step towards maturity. Yay, hallelujah, and amen. And for others, maybe it's just the first time you've actually heard this opportunity um, to surrender your life to Jesus. That you've never seen it put in that way, that there's coming a day when you're going to be judged for the sin that's in you. And unfortunately, you're not cool enough to get out of it. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You, You need someone to help you. You need 
help from Jesus. And maybe today's the day you're going to say, I want to let Jesus into my life and I'm going to believe this story that Jesus is the son of God and that he gave his life as a ransom for me, that he died on a cross and that God raised him from the dead. And now faith in that, I too have the hope of eternal life. Maybe that's the day. Maybe today's the day for some of you to do that. Praise God. just um, am overwhelmed by the, the realities in this story of how God seems to be so missing. And yet when you get done reading it, God is just dripping off the page. If I could do one thing, if I had the power to do one thing, it would just be to show you that God is involved in your life, that he loves you deeply. He cares for you deeply and he wants change for you and everything for you. So Would you pray with me? I'm so glad you guys have come today. I'm so glad you're here. I was just overjoyed this morning when I woke up and was just thinking, God, it's such a good day to come together and to pray with everyone. It's just a good day to come together and to learn about your goodness, God. Yes. So Lord, we thank you that we have gathered today We thank you that we can um, remember all of your good things. As we celebrated the birth of Joe and Megan's baby, Ellie, and also wrestle with what's happening in Europe, that this world is out of control, as we've already said. But you, God, you have it in control. It's out of our control, but you have it now. So we thank you for that, God. We lift up baby Eleanor to you right now, that you would move in a mighty way. Even now as we pray, God, all together we pray that you would, you'd work in her lungs, that you'd give her, I love this, that you'd make her cry louder than any baby's ever cried, Lord God. In Jesus' name, Joe's cursing me right now, but any, in Jesus' name, we pray these things, that she would have the, the breath of life in her, sustained by you, God. Yes, God, we thank you for that. We pray over the situation in Europe and around the world that, the, that justice would prevail, that truth would prevail, that there are lies being spread all over the world about what's happening, and that truth would come out and the judgment would be um, brought and that people could um, uh, continue to live, Lord God. We, we speak life over the situation that's happening in Europe. We speak life over the situations of our own lives, Lord God, that you would take and remedy uh, medical diagnoses, uh, that you would, you would heal people who need healing, that you would restore relationships that need to be restored, that, God, you would turn dead things to a, a, alive things, that you would move us from mourning into holiday or gladness again, and that we would use this time over the next few moments to remember how good you are, God that everything in our relationship with you is dependent upon your work. God, if we, if we had to struggle to hold on to you, we would have lost our grip years ago, but you are faithful to us. You are faithful to your promises that your son Jesus has secured for us and procured, procured for us something that which we could never get on our own. And you hold it, God. You hold it secure. Help us to remember that great work, Lord God. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Would you please stand to your feet? Thank you for letting me talk a little bit. We'll see you next week. Thank you.
Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 